Welcome to Relationship, where real-life couple Justin and Candace share their keeping it real perspective on the ins and outs of their personal and professional experiences, navigating the ups and downs of partnerships in life and business. They will also offer practical advice for maintaining strong, healthy, fun, and successful relationships in life and business. If you're ready for comedic and insightful exploration of life, love, law, business, and everything else in between, you're in the right place. Buckle up, it's going to be a wild ride. Here are your hosts, Justin and Candace. Okay, welcome to Relationship. Today, we're thrilled to introduce Dr. Joe and Judy Raitley, an extraordinary couple who turned their pet passion into a pioneering business journey. From tackling dog breath to creating greenies, I love greenies, the number one pet treat in the U.S., their story is about innovation and love for pets. Later, Yummy Combs emerged, addressing dog wellness on multiple fronts. With eight patents and an unwavering commitment, they're redefining pet care again. Welcome to the show. We are so honored to have you guys. Um, Just knowing about your product before having even met you just now, we were so excited because we're such huge fans of Greenies. So welcome to Relationship. Well, thank you for having us. And uh, try yummy combs. You'll be surprised. I tell people. From the very, very beginning, because, you know, before we started recording, I kind of gave you guys a little background as to why it is that we wanted to do the Relationship podcast. And, you know, your story, like many others, is so phenomenal, especially since you happen to have a product, or I should say products, that is not only nationally, but internationally well-known and beloved by millions and millions and millions of people. So let's, you know, let's, you know, take a step back and go to the very, very beginning and tell us that moment, if you can remember, in 1996, when you and Judy said, okay, this is what we want to do. And how was Greenies born? We never planned to start a company. We just were trying to find something to make our dogs, our chusamoids, have a better breath because they were very stinky. <clears throat> they were not allowed in the house. They just smelled horrible. And so at that point, I kept begging Joe because he had worked with the government in a lot of special projects with a lot of different companies <clears throat> using ag products uh, to do all kind of wonderful things. What's an ag product? Agriculture. Oh, ag. Got it, got it, got it. I'm sorry. I I should say that because a girl wrote that uh, Joe worked for the American Dairy Association because I didn't say agricultural economics. <laughs> so here's the, the we have different personalities as most couples do, including in entrepreneurs. So I have more of a uh, sanguine type personality. So the way I tell the story is. Judy chased me around the table, the kitchen table, with a rolling pin. And after she hit me over the head about three or four times, I got enough sense speed into me to try and see if we could uh, do something about these two dogs that had the hard breath. So tell me what the process was like. I mean, how do you, coming from a, a background that's not really in this space, what 
happens next? Are you in the kitchen working with different ingredients and outcomes greenies? Well, you go ahead. Not exactly. We had a company in Atchison, Kansas that had a product that they didn't know what to do with. And so Joe started doing some work with that product and they said, he said, well, could this be used for dog treatment? They go, why didn't we think of that? And they said, yes, and we will work with you to help you develop because you will use our product and help develop this dog treat. So we did. So I, I have a background somewhat in animal care, let's say. I grew up on a farm. We had chickens and goats and hogs and cows, and I started feeding them before I started going to school. So I did that. I earned three degrees from colleges of agriculture, one in Florida, by the way. And uh, then uh, I've worked in the agriculture area kind of all my life. So I've been around some of this stuff a little bit, but really on the peripheral. Never had done anything with dogs per se. And I was actually very fortunate because we go to the university, or I do, the University of Missouri dental faculty practice for the new dentists are practicing on people. And uh, Dr. Woolsey was working on my teeth and was asking me what I did and stuff. And I told him I was trying to come up with some way to do this dog treat. And he said, well, I think I could help you. And I said, how would that be? He said, well, you can't get to it, but the uh, dental school has a lot of research papers on ingredients that have been used in dog products. Because he said, the real protocol is it's rats or mice, then dogs, and then people is, is the steps they go. So he said, there's a lot. So he said, I'll just get everything I can from the library. And he came back with probably four inches of papers. And I went through them with a highlighter. And once it had something I liked, I highlighted, put them on one side, everything else went in the trash can. And when I was done, I went through, picked out several of them, picked out one or two things that I thought would be good, put it together, kind of like if you were making a cake. And you're just putting the dry materials in, no liquid ingredients. Stirred it up, split it up, gave it to each of the dogs, and they ate it. And so I said, How, how long did that process? What, how long were you trying different ingredients out until the final product, as we know it as the consumers, was Greenies Born? Like, what was that time frame like from inception short. and short? Yes. Uh, we were so fortunate, so blessed. Uh, in 10 to 15 days, we unfortunately didn't keep good records back then of how long this stuff took because, you know, it wasn't going to be a business. It was just cleaning up the dogs. But within 15 days, we had both of the dogs probably 75% cleaned up in terms of their bad breath. Wow. And so then I had met a guy who was in the pet industry for quite a while, lives about 80 miles from us here. So we got back with him and took out what we were doing, recipe up, and he looked at it, and he made strange faces and stuff. And he said, I've been in the business 30 years. I've never seen anything like this. And that's one of the good things about not being in the business. You're not buried in those tracks of years and years where you have to dig yourself out. You're just out there freewheeling, freelancing, getting things done. He said, I can do a few things to help this, but this is pretty impressive. And he, he was a vet. Is a vet nutritionist. Yeah, yeah. he is a board certified veterinarian. So he knows a lot of what he's talking, a whole lot about what he's talking about. So that was basically the start of it. We then made a few things, and that was in 1996. 
However, it was not until 2000 that we actually sold products. So we went, oh, close to four years without an income period. Wow. It was kind of trying. I can tell you from experience, saltine crackers and water is not a very uh, tasteful diet over time. And we didn't have a say. Yeah. Oh, we, we start with a blank sheet of paper. I mean, totally. You have a school teacher, homemaker, and a bureaucrat, okay, with no collateral. And you go to the bank and you ask for a quarter million dollars in funding to start this new company. And you have a green product that people say, half of the people say, is that moldy? Or why is it green? <laughs> That's right. But I want, to, I want to take a step back because I want to, I want to fill in the gaps that okay. I'm curious about, and I, I wonder if, if the audience is going to be curious about. But, you know, when you said that you, neither of you went into this thinking that you were going to start a business, you were just creating something for your beloved dogs. Correct. So at, was it a situation where there was a point in time that you decided to, let's say, quit your job because you wanted to start a company because you said we we didn't have an income for three years, but you must have made some sort of a decision. Either you were you had a job and you quit it because you wanted to start something or something happened. Um, What happened was a big deal. The government back in D.C. decided that what needed to happen that was ever good would happen in D.C., so that we could no longer live in Kansas City. We had to move back to Washington, D.C. if Joe wanted to keep his job. So So my response was different than they probably expected because my response was pretty immediate. We talked to our two sons, had a little family discussion, and nobody wanted to go back. I probably would have been willing to, but not without the family. And so I fired Uncle Sam instead. And we just went like off. You. I like that. We're gonna we're gonna do something. We don't know exactly what it was. And then we started down this road with the dogs. Judy kept after me, and I finally succumbed to the pressures. And uh, we did this. Our dogs liked it. We had some other people try it. You know, this this almost like flour and sugar for baking a cake, but it wasn't those ingredients for the dogs. Other people's dogs loved it. And I scratched my head one day and I said, "You think we could?" make a, you know, kind of a living off of this someday, maybe sell a million dollars worth of product and, you know, support our family. That was the, that was the starting goal when we turned from helping dogs solely to, can this be a business? Well, we did not have an income, but I did believe that Joe was going to figure something out. But in the meantime, I had not been able to get a teaching job in Kansas City or the surrounding area. So I just substituted almost every day. I went to substitute and it was a big $70 a day. Just oh, wow. <laughs> we made it through. And By the uh, grace of God. And then it took us a while because that was 1996. Our first real sales occurred in 98, we sold a couple packages of greenies, and 99, we sold a little bit more. But 2000 was really the kind of the breakout where we actually sold some product. In fact, it was an interesting story. We hired a sales guy, and uh, he had worked in the pet industry, and he sent out, we don't know how many, three, four dozen letters, handwritten, 
and two friends of his in the industry and dropped in a couple of greenies, said something to the effect of, I'm working for this little company in Kansas City. They got a great product. I'm going to be at booth XYZ with them at a trade show in uh, Long Beach, California. Come by and see me. Out of that, that was our total marketing. And we have been, as I said, very blessed on many fronts. We had people around a 10 foot by 10 foot trade show booth, three and four deep for three days. That's amazing. That it's, it's you can't dream this up. Right. And so that was really what got us started. And then we had the opposite program at that point at that trade show. We had the same problem, if you wish. Uh, we went from how do we sell a bag of greenies to how in the heck do we ever fill all these orders? Exactly. That was going to be my question. Now what? <laughs> now what do we do? So, how so, did you guys tackle that? Okay. So <laughs> my schooling did come in handy in that particular area. I knew a little bit about equipment finance, not had never done it, but I knew it existed because, you know, try if you want to have a fun day, write up a resume where you're a bureaucrat and that's all you do. She's a school teacher and a homemaker. That's all she's done. And you have no business experience, sales experience, no marketing experience, no quality control, no nothing experience that's relevant to this. And go to the bank and ask them for a quarter million dollars. As Judy said hundreds of times. That was probably the best laugh the bankers have had in a long time. But I was able to talk, and it just took pure persistence. I actually just wore this equipment uh, lease company to nothing, to where they finally said, Uncle, I give, I'll do it. And it probably took me about three weeks, and I called them every day, sometimes a couple times a day. Every time with a little new twist to it, maybe we could do it this way. The, the guy I was working with initially finally said, we just can't do it. And I said, do you have a boss? He said, yeah. I said, put him on. He said, he's already talked to him. I said, put him on. So I talked with him a little while, and then I called him for probably another week every day. And he finally said, Joe, you are so darn persistent. You might actually make this work. I'll do it. And I said, where do I sign? And that's cool. how we got so let's. I want to stop you right there because have you gone back – have you gone back to him, the original person who green-lighted the loan, to say, what do you think about your decision now? We don't even know who he is. We, we don't know who he is. <laughs> we, we bought, we, we finally, after we sold a million dollars of greenies one month, we finally got bank financing. And at that point, we bought all of these equipment leases out because it's an expensive way to get money. But when you can't get money, yeah, expense is a little less of uh, the main point. Uh, so I, I don't know what the guy's name was anymore. Or, or even what company it was. And, yeah. So and we had a fire and we lost most of that kind of stuff. So yeah. Wait, you so in the third in so I want to go back to the struggles that you guys had in the three years. Because as we talked again before we started the podcast, you know, we read so many things and we always hear about the successes of you know, once something became successful, but I think a lot of us, especially the the people out there that want to maybe start a business venture with somebody or, you know, or, or launch a product or service, what do the struggles look like? What did your struggles look like for those three years? Did you figure out 
your role, uh, your roles in this entire venture as to who was going to do what, you know, what, what did it look like for you, especially when you had barely had an income coming in for three years? How, how did you not give up? You know, like, like, you know, cause a lot of people I feel like out there, if they're struggling in this day and age, I mean, for like a month, everybody like starts throwing in the towel and giving up and like, Oh my God, there's no instant gratification. I can't, I can't, I, what am I going to do? I mean, how did you guys do that for several years? I mean, cause it must've been not easy. It was not easy. And Joe is much more persistent than I am, but year after year, it got a little bit grating on us both. But Joe said, if we give up on this, if the idea is already out there, Somebody with money is going to come along, pick it up, and they will make millions of dollars on our idea, and we will get no credit for it. So we just have to persist. I know we're getting short on time. Real quickly, we had one thing that really helped us a lot. We had mentors, but we had one special mentor. I call him a mental mentor. He's actually a very distant cousin of mine, but he's been referred to as likely the greatest endurance athlete ever. And so he's had humongous tasks that he's had to overcome. And I've told Judy many times, if Serge can do everything that he's doing and un- overcoming those odds, we can do these little ones that we're encountering. Running and that kind of got us over how big our hurdle was. It's conquerable. We can we can handle this somehow. It's, it's something that I think every entrepreneur ought to think about. Who's their mental mentor when tough times really strike, and they will, who do you go to for help at that point? Not so much for the technical business side, for the philosophy, for the how do we keep going, that passion and persistence. That's a big, big deal, in my opinion. Well, you didn't tell what he did that made us miss oh. He has done many things, but probably his, time, his, his greatest at that time, he was, in fact, running a warm up event. This is a warm up event for him from the southern tip of Argentina to Fairbanks running 35 months, 14,984 miles. Wow. There are lots of encounters. There's cultural things. There's people you encounter that you didn't want to encounter. There's you know, climates and topographies that are just daunting. And then just doing this every day, in and out every day, is it, it takes its toll on you. But he was always able to come. And, and I said, if he can do it, we can do it. And here's my thing, though. You know, a lot of times people and, you know, all the books out there will tell you, um, especially if you read, you know, books from Napoleon Hill, um, you know, surround yourself with, you know, people who are smarter, you know, make sure you surround yourself with mentors. And what I feel, though, is the challenge in this day and age is that everybody has found a way to monetize that. Join a mastermind group. You'll find great mentors there. And these mastermind groups don't ever really end up serving the intended purpose, which is people that are truly you know, vested into brainstorming and helping you solve problems and helping you figure out and, 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 you know, get yourself out of certain type of challenges. If, if we don't have somebody that as a family member that you might look up to or respect such as you did, you know, what would you tell people? You know, how, how do you go about going out there to finding a mentor? 
you know, because because it seems like in this day and age, either you have it and you can think of somebody pretty easily or everybody's kind of been, you know, and, and then you think about it, persuaded you got, to joining a mastermind group that they have to pay a lot of money for. Or everybody is now a coach right. and they can't even coach themselves, but they want to coach other people. So right. you got that, too. So here's, here's what I tell people consistently. If you're going to do this, make sure you're doing it for a passion of yours, something you're really interested in and not for the money. Because if you're doing it solely for the money, when those really tough times come, you're going to throw in the towel. If your heart is in here and it is the thing that drives you, you're not going to throw in the towel. You're going to say, I will do this somehow, some right. way. I will find a way. And if, if you're doing it for the money, you're going, ah, this can't do it. Right. We both had mentor groups. I had a ladies group that I uh, met with and we prayed together a lot. And they helped pray me through all of the fears. And then uh, Joe had met people at uh, United States Department of Agriculture <laughs> in a think tank that he was with. And there were people that they just allowed him to call them for free and say, well, Lee, what do you think about what we're doing and how we can get through this? And these people helped immensely, as well as uh, Dr. Calder was one of these people he had met. and He had been through a lot of stuff like this, and they just cheered us on and helped us to move forward. A lot of people do think that people like that in this day and age anymore. You know, I, I, I love that you guys had that type of support system around you. Now, if you don't have people that are willing to work with you like that, the chances of them really being able to help you because virtually everybody looks at all of these things as a money proposition. Correct. And it is of sorts, but it doesn't necessarily mean it is the main core of why you're doing it. One of the right. great things we've had the privilege of doing is we've built oh, over 350 homes for the poorest of the poor in Guyana, South America. By wow. far, this isn't even close. The greatest satisfaction, the greatest gratitude I've ever experienced came from that. I love it's it. wonderful. From, because we were successful with greetings. That we were. Oh, I, I love that. To give that is the greatest thing after you have yeah. earned money. Well, we we have a kind of a philosophy of ours, big picture of life, and it goes: you learn, you earn, and then you yearn to return. I, I like that. I'm going to steal that from you. I like that a lot. Oh yeah. Are you? Can we let that Bernie do that? <laughs> <laughs> Well, can't say I'm gonna I'm gonna owe you yeah. any royalties or anything for using that. <laughs> no, but I would tease you about it definitely. <laughs> I, but I, I want to now I want to move into almost. So we started at 1996, yeah. and now we're gonna forward on to 2006 when you ultimately sold Greenies. My understanding to the Mars Corporation, correct? That is correct. So, which, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like 10 years from from inception to being purchased by the, you know, the, the, the mega ship, so to speak, that's pretty impressive. And that seems like a, a, a relatively short journey compared to a lot of other um, companies that, uh, you know, 
whether it's a service or or a product or anything out there um, that you know would ultimately get purchased. I mean, that seems like a, a shorter journey journey than a lot. Tell me what that moment was like, and and how did that actually come about? Because that's. 10 years, you know, we, we understand the first three years of your struggles. Tell us, fill in the rest of that gap from that three-year moment of struggle to, you know, I guess the, 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 the seven years after that, before Greenies was ultimately purchased by Mars. We believe that we had the right people, the right product, and we're at the right time. And we don't know if it ever can be replicated by anybody again. Because the people we hired had the cultural and moral philosophies that we held. A lot of them came from our church. And uh, they wanted to see us all succeed because they began to realize that if they helped us succeed, that they would have success. And it would be a lot of financial which happened. And then Mars got on a little buying spree. And started buying all these companies, and we were number one. Greenies was number one in America, but we were not. It was, I'm sorry, the phone's ringing. The dog thinks he has to bark, but um, shh, shh, it's okay. Hey, it's okay. So we have um, a dog here too. No worries. We have a Shih Tzu. I'm sorry, that phone was ringing. So he, um, I'm trying to think where I was with it. Oh, Greenies was number one and we were very happy to be number one and it was number one in the pet i have to i have to get these on our hold on the pet food industry but we were not in the pet we were in treats and so mars thought, thought well oh my goodness how sweet <laughs> see see i bought my wife a bentley <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And I got dog. Yeah. And Mars began to realize that if they wanted to have that brand, because that's all they really cared about, they would do whatever they wanted once they got it. They wanted the brand because Greenies could not be beat in the marketplace here in the U.S. So they bought us, and we got to do a lot of other things. And they are making big bucks with Greenies today, and we're glad for them. We have nothing to do with them. Mm-hmm. nothing just are glad that they have a good treat but we believe we have the best treat now with the yummy combs well I, I basically did take what we learned at Greenies it didn't get implemented because we grew at a rate of 70% for five years oh by the way that was per quarter wow yeah, it was and hard. so it was, it's it's amazing. You you can't have this dream and write it down. You not be creative enough to do it. Uh, it was absolutely out of out of this world, so to speak. The employees enjoyed coming to work so much. They loved creating whatever. What else can we do? And what new programs can we put out to make it really shine for Christmas or or for the spring or for summer and. And they were not ready to sell. They had no idea we were going to sell what we did. And they they were rather sad that um, we were gone because no. we have a different uh, culture than Mars. So it was different. Now we had about, I don't know, 95 employees when we sold. And we had meet company meetings every once in a while. And the morning we announced that we put 
Mars candy bars on every seat in the room. And nobody other than the core the half a dozen or so people that were involved in it had any idea. Oh, goody candy yeah. today, they thought. Yeah. But wow. really so th- that's how you told everybody that Mars was going to be purchasing greenies. Yeah, and the right. Mars group was there, and the Mars group that was going to take over came in. So, crazy well, ride. Well, we were not allowed to speak it. If it was ever spoken, the deal was broken, they said. Oh, got it. There it was a during the due diligence period, there was a public confidentiality. Yeah. Were you guys in the boardroom alone with them, or did you have your team? You know, with you, your lawyers and all that kind of General stuff. And the attorney and the CFO. Yeah. Got we, it. We spent from a Saturday morning to a Thursday morning, about three forty-five a.m. We signed the papers. Now, this was two private companies, so you didn't have as much government kinds of rules and regulations that you have to do, and we were able to sail through that pretty fast. But it was it was very taxing. Because you're you're fighting for your people and your employees, and they're fighting for their people and their employees. You know that as attorneys, so that's just right. how negotiations go. And there's if there's a if one side thinks that it was a perfect perfect negotiation, they probably took advantage of somebody. Agreed. I want to because I, I want to make sure that I'm I'm respectful of your time. The, the what the most important question that Justin and I always like to ask our guests because it's it really kind of encapsulates your journey from beginning to end. So it's going to be a two-part question. If you can remember back when you started this, okay, and, and the struggles that you dealt with, what would you say your biggest lesson learned or takeaway was during that time period and then now as we fast forward to the remarkable success that you guys have had, um, not only when you owned Greenies, but then ultimately once you sold Greenies to the Mars Corporation, what would you say as you look back and as you sit here today, what your biggest life or business lesson takeaway would be? They might be the same from beginning and now, or they might be different, but what would you say was what you gleaned back then? And then what would be the biggest life lesson and takeaway business-wise or life? Some people have the same answer for both. Don't believe everybody, even if they're experts. We probably, probably had, I would say, three dozen injection molding people. Most of the plastic parts you see around your office and things are actually made by injection molding or some molding product like that. They told me because this material we were using for the dogs didn't melt. Plastic melts, and that's how they get it to flow through these machines. So these machines are not built for a product that they sell it. And I probably had three dozen at least people seasoned in the business say, Joe, you might someday get a product that, but you'll never get this to work commercially. And I was just persistent enough, passionate enough, and stubborn enough not to take their word. And I said, we are going to do this. And ultimately, we did. It wasn't easy, but we started a new track. And now virtually all of the dog treats are, or at least they, they 
big part of them are injection molded from what we basically came up with and put together to make greenies. But it wasn't just that. We paved the way. Yeah. And when we went international in 2000, late, no, 2002, and Judy said we weren't ready, but we somehow stumbled into it. And we came back from a meeting in Germany with 138 companies that wanted the product, and we didn't have financing. We had just a month before gotten our first loan from a bank. And so we were just winging it, basically. And so we had 138 companies that wanted it. And I talked to all kinds of banks locally here, and Judy was with me. And all of them kind of just laughed at us and said adios. And uh, so I said, well, we got to do it some way. So I talked to the Import-Export Bank, and because I had worked a little with them, met a few of them when I was working for USDA. And he was here and came here to town from Chicago for another meeting. And he said, okay, I'll come by and meet with you. And so we met for a while and he said, that there's no way that you're ever going to be able to do this. They're going to want 120 to 150 day terms and you don't have the financing to do that. And, uh, you know, a thousand other reasons why it couldn't be done. And at the end of the meeting, we were both standing up. He was ready to walk out. And I said, sir, you can laugh at me all you want, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to write a really nice letter to every one of these companies and tell them how appreciative we are that they acknowledge how good a product this is and that they really ought to have. And our terms are you pay 50% down when it leaves our dock and you pay the other 50% when it hits your dock. And he, he laughed and laughed and laughed. And he said, that will never, ever work. They're not going to do that. I said, I'm not so sure of that. And I'm going to try it. And we did. And we kicked a few people out because we didn't think they were good risk or they couldn't do a good job, but not a handful or two out of 138. The rest of them, everyone took it. Every one of them did jump up and down, scream and holler, rant and rave about the terrible terms we were having. And we said, okay, you start paying that we know you're going to pay. We'll reduce them at that point. And we did. And we didn't lose anybody we wanted out of 138. But there was no product like this on the market. Nobody had ever seen anything like it. And everybody wanted it. Now, hundreds of companies have copied that, that form. But at that time, like I said, right place, right time, right people. Timing is everything. Yeah. The the thing that, that I tend to do different than most people do, and it's because I didn't go through some of the schooling that other people do. I'm a very strong believer in product differentiation to solve problems. So I always try to look at it. What's the problem that the buyer is facing? With Greenies, it was bad breath, basically. Uh, but there were some other things, too. Uh, now, with Yummy Cone, it's totally different. Not many people, the stock owners, really know this, but I think it's really important. 80%, think of that, four out of every five dogs over the age three currently has some form of gum disease. Gum disease can actually kill dogs. Not always by any means, but it can happen. And yet only 20% of the owners of those dogs realize their dog is even in pain. Uh, to me, that's a problem. That is a problem. The second problem is that 55% of dogs over the age two are overweight. And only 20% of the people will acknowledge that the dog is overweight. They'll think that a 90-pound lab is 
that's fine. Well, it's about 15 or 20 pounds overweight, actually. And so we look at things like that. There's another issue that we've solved with yummy combs, and it does have eight patents issued and two more pending because we've got that much innovation in it, uh, is the choking gulping issue. Uh, it's been around for a century, and nobody solved it until we figured out a way to basically reduce it immensely. I wouldn't want to say we absolutely solved it, that it'll never happen again because somebody will disprove that. Uh, but yeah, we, we've got a lot of technology built into the product, and that's what we work on, and that requires education for people to understand why you do it. Right. So where where are we at with honeycombs now? Yummy combs. Yummy combs. Yummy combs. Uh, we're moving on. We just got permission this morning. You're going to be the first people that hear this uh, outside of our team. And Rita, I just told her before we did this, we did a study that during the study, during the actual study we did scientifically, there was someone in the industry said it was absolutely impossible for a dog treat to remove calculus from dog's teeth. We did a study, had a third party do it for us, where they gave dogs one yummy combs a day for 60 days and we removed over 25% of that hardened calculus off the dog's teeth, and we recorded improvement of breath of 46%. Wow. That's amazing. That's impossible to do. But it isn't. <laughs> but it was just done. Well, it seems like you've done that now three or four times. <laughs> four, four times of impossibilities that you've made a possibility. Oh, uh, actually, quite a few more than that. You just <laughs> now, that's kind of uh, I I will admit to being passionate, persistent, and stubborn in some ways. But I usually have something in mind that I'm trying to accomplish. And as Serge, the runner that I was telling you about, yeah. he has two phrases that I put together to make one. He says, "Impossible." That's just a bullshit word. Anything is possible if you're willing to pay the price. And that's 100%. That's that's kind of the philosophy that a guy named Thomas Edison lived by. Thomas Edison, I'm sure, you know, a, a bunch of his uh brethren, you know, back in that time. Yeah. Well, he he said something at one point when somebody asked him about the light bulb, like, oh, you know, why he hadn't figured it out. He said, well, I have figured out a thousand things that don't work. And that will ultimately reach the one that will. That's right. right. But if you give up on that hundred to one, you're lost. You have nothing that you were trying to accomplish. So I think there's a lot of those things in the entrepreneurial spirit of doing things that if you have that, your chances of succeeding are much greater. Is there more pain? Yes. There's no gain without pain. Right. And I love that you said that because that that should resonate with all the folks that are, you know, seeking some sort of advice, a beacon of hope. Um, so I really appreciate that. Before we end, though, when do we actually get to see yummy combs out in the market? Ah, I'm glad you asked that question. They are actually out in the market. You can get oh, them are. currently at PetSmart, 
Chewy, Amazon, Pets for uh, Pets, Pet Products Plus, Pet Supermarket, uh, and some veterinary and independent uh, retail stores. They are available. They are available in five sizes. That's part of our patented piece because we're using it for several things. We use it for choking because a board-certified veterinary dentist, that's kind of a mentor of ours now, was kind enough to measure dogs' throat openings, how wide they were for us, and then gave us the weights of the dogs. So we divided dogs up into five weight categories and then built the yummy combs wider than the throat opening for that weight category of dogs. We also use that to meter ingredients to dogs. So we don't give dogs too much of something or not enough of something. And yummy combs are a very, very different shape than anything. I don't know if you've seen one or not, but here's how I describe them. And you got to use your imagination with this. This is totally theoretical on my part, but it's kind of how the idea came to me. It's a hybrid between a hexagonal hockey puck okay. and the interior of a bee's nest. Okay. Hexagonal okay. cells in a, bee, a bee's nest. Yes, so they, yes. It's hexagonal, but the, 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 the top side and bottom side are all interior bee's nest. And what that allows us to do is when the dog bites down, upper and lower teeth fall in these little cells that are like the, the bee's nest. They're hexagonal, and it's in there that the tooth will fit into it. The the, the, the proof between the teeth. And that's how it's break the calcium. Yeah, so we're the first treat that has ever been able to floss 360 degrees around a dog's teeth. And then with those sides, we've got up to 256 surfaces to scrub the sides of the teeth. And that's how we earned the Veterinary Oral Health Council seal of acceptance for tartar, which is the highest honor. Highest accreditation that you could get. And are there different flavors? Yeah. And so that works with that. And then on the uh, safety side of it, what we did, I was talking about a little bit, it's, they're built bigger so they, the dog can't just gulp it and get it stuck in its throat. But that right. the dog can't chunk a piece off and it still get lodged in their throat. But we did three things to cover that. First, our biochemists came up with a great, great uh, idea and we call it Slick'em. And when this stuff, we we put it in the product when we make it. But when water or saliva touches it, it starts making that product very, very slippery. And it's like you lose the dog's throat with it. So when the dog coughs, has something in its throat and coughs, it can expel it out much more easily. Or it can slip down to the stomach and the pan the stomach will also dissolve it. And then he also came up with the an ingredient that makes it much, much more dissolvable than a product normally will. And then because of this uh, interior of the bee's nest concept, the walls are very, very thin on yummy combs. And so it can dissolve very fast. It's like taking a thin sheet of ice and putting in water and it's gone almost instantaneously versus you put a block ice in there, it's going to be there for a long time. Same concept that we're after there. And all those things get built in. And then we've got as good a nutrition as some of the best dog foods are. And we purposely went that way to do it because one of the things we want to do is address this whole issue of 55% of the dogs being overweight. 
Right. I want my dog to live a long, long time. Right. Because they're, they're not just dogs. They're our family. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you will send us your mailing address, we will send a package to you with the way. Oh, thank you. Certainly. Love, thank you so much. It's, 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 when you get into this stuff, I, I get very fascinated. I'm obviously animated. And, uh, but, uh, if you're ever you're not animated. You're just really passionate, and you're a problem solver. It takes one to to know one, and I I have to tell you, you really you've touched on a lot of things that I know to be true because I am I'm obsessive about the practice of law. You know, I can't say that Justin is as obsessive as I am. He's more of the rainmaker. I'm just the mad scientist that I just my mind won't stop, and I love every. I'm so obsessive over it that people think I'm crazy. And so I always tell people, you know, I might be crazy, but it just might be crazy that you might need. Um, So, you know, so I, I love that because you didn't just innovate and solve a problem. You anticipated other things that the consumer might be worried about, whereas most people that create something just to create something. Um, and I really talk about the corporations that really just commercialize everything. And they so quickly think of a product, but they don't really care to go the five steps forward. They just want to check the box and go through the motions and put something out there and start making money. But I love having spoken to you guys because you really are the the the, the essence, I think, of what the American dream and what it really, really takes to, you know, to, to be successful. I mean, you, you really touched on a lot of the characteristics that I think people need to know. And it's nothing that you can read from a book. You know, the books will tell you, you got to just be positive and you just, and it's like, come on already. Let's, let's really get down to the nitty gritty of what's really important. Um, you mentioned crazy, and I get called that quite a bit, and I take it as a high honor. I think I you. love it. So yeah, she takes it. She loves. Love it. Call me crazy all day long. I don't care. I don't know. I do not take it as as an insult at all. The more crazy co- comments I get, I know I'm onto something. Yep. Right. <laughs> so if you're ever in Kansas City area, certainly contact us and stop by. Well, We're about miles from downtown in our offices, so. We definitely will. And likewise, if you're down in the Miami area, you know, we'd love we'd love to host it, love to meet you in person, because I could carry on with this conversation for another seven hours <laughs> to be quite honest. You could have someone that would hang with you. <laughs> well, I I love it. And it was again such a privilege and an honor to have met you guys. Thank you both. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you for being our guests on Relationship. We appreciate you. That's a wrap for this week's episode. Don't miss next week's episode for more relatable, real, and practical insights from Relationship, packed with even more candid conversations. So make sure to subscribe, tune in, and keep your wine glass full. And if you want to share your own experience or ask a question, follow us on social media and feel free to reach out. Go to CernitzLaw.com. Call 888-68-DAMAGE or email us at cshanbraun at cernitzlaw.com or jcernitz at cernitzlaw.com. 